Now, the passage that we are considering this morning is rare spiritual air. It is the height, the trekking the heights of God's truth. It's, uh, it's as if we're following the alpine path through the mountains of God this morning. And to a spiritually discerning person, the view from this perspective should take your breath away. And you stand on the, an outcropping, trembling in, and saying under your breath, is this even possibly true? Is what I'm reading here really true? That in Christ I can be forever blessed with grace and with mercy and with kindness. Is it true what it's saying? That in Christ I can live forever under the mercy of God. What does that mean to be in Christ? Paul uses the term in the New Testament almost 150 times. It's, it occurs almost 180 times in the New Testament. In this little six-chapter letter, Paul says in him or in Christ 30 times. What does that mean? The 10 verses that we're going to enjoy today are the clearest answer in the Bible to the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? Think about it a little bit more. Is it true that I can know that I'm in Christ today and that throughout the coming ages, I can be an example of the riches of his grace and kindness in Christ. What we'll survey in these 10 verses of shocking beauty are our message and our help and our sure and certain hope in our consolation and sadness and our very mission in life. If you ever lack for purpose in life, you're about to find out what it is because we have it right here. Let me read the text again and then I wanna ask you a question And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you also walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the question. Does grace still amaze you? Does grace still amaze you? I'm a, I'm a second-generation Christian. My parents saturated my life with teaching about God and teaching about the Bible and Bible stories. I got off the bus on Tuesday afternoon, and my mom would have a Bible club for me and my friends. Wednesday night, we were always, were you raised that way? Always at church. Uh, I, heard, I, I got taken to church the, you know, the week I was born, and, and my parents were so serious about it. It was like, not just like you dropped in once a week. If you didn't have something else to do, it's like they were 
They were really hardcore about it. It would be easy to hear the gospel so often that it didn't thrill you anymore. It was just like background noise. It'd be like a grandfather clock from the old country that used to ring beautifully, but now you don't even notice it when it rings. My goal today would be that you would hear that grandfather clock ring again, that it would thrill your soul, that grace would amaze you again, that mercy would thrill you again, that kindness would capture you again. I, I think we have a wonderful text. But, but first, the bad news, right? First, the bad news. It, it, this is um, verses 1 through 3. It's kind of the bad news. And, and verses 4 through 10, it's kind of the good news. It's that simple. It's the bad news, the good news. It, verses 1 through 3, we are without Christ. We're dead, disobedient, deceived, and depraved. That's all of humanity. That's all of mankind. Maybe that's not what you heard, but that's what God says. And it kind of explains everything. Listen to the way human beings are described who are not in Christ yet. In verse 1, death. In verse 2, sin. In verse 3, in the world. And that's not a good term in this case. In verse 2, the devil is mentioned as, the, as your ruler, as the ruler of those who are not in Christ. And they're under the wrath. And in the bondage of good works, you jump to verse 8, you see that, that there's that sense of bondage to good works, a, de a demand for a certain behavior. Hear it again. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's shorthand for the devil. The spirit now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind were by nature children of wrath. That's not a pretty picture, but it's helpful to read because it explains a lot of stuff. The bad news is that's true of all humanity. It's true of you. You didn't know that because people say nice things to you. you, you they, they, we, the scriptures do teach that human beings are created by God and have the majesty of God upon them. But the scriptures also teach they're, they're deeply fallen. And so theologians use terms like depraved. It's an accurate term. The scriptures use the term dead. The scriptures here use the term disobedient. In these three verses, the scripture used the term deceived. And the, and the bad thing is that we tend to be unaware of how bad the danger is, like the passengers in the, on the Hindenburg. It was a luxury blimp. Did you know they made those? But then it crashed in, a, in fire and everyone died. The, it's like we're the passengers on the Titanic. It was a luxury liner, and, the, and you know, you've heard the story. It's unsinkable. And then... It sank, and souls perished. We're, we're passengers on the Titanic, is what Paul is saying here. People are not basically good. They're not just a little sick or flawed. They're dead. They're dead. I tried to watch it, and I never made it. Uh, the, the Walking Dead, the picture show, The Walking Dead, the series, The Walking Dead, they say that uh, there are zombies in it. Is this true? Zombies in The Walking Dead? I know in church you don't want to admit you watched it. Right? Um, and, and when a person is a zombie, they call him a walker. That's what they say. Sorry if your name's Walker. Uh, they say that when a person is a zombie, they call him a walker. Okay, that's what Paul's saying. You're a walker. You are 
You are living a zombie apocalypse. You are a passenger on the Titanic. You are, you, are, you are dead and on your way to eternal death. That is God's accurate description of every human being. Why, you, you're thinking, why would the pastor be drilling down so hard on this right now? Because it makes the good news so much sweeter to candidly and baldly declare the bad news. That's what Paul does. That's what God does. It's, you say it's bad. He says it's worse. You're dead. You're not just wounded. You're not just flawed. You're not just like, oops. It's like you're, you're alienated from God, an enemy of God under his wrath. Now, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 is one sentence. Grammar is important. Punctuation in, in English is important. Parts of speech are important. Consider the lowly conjunction. What is that? Conjunction is the part of speech that serves to connect words or phrases. Words like and, but, as, because, conjunctions. Like the first two sections of chapter one, the first section of chapter two is one long sentence, but in it, it has a very important conjunction. Did you notice it? Did you notice it? But God... Verse 4, that's right, that's where it was. This is, the theologians, preachers, teachers of the Bible have often said, there is the blessed conjunction there, without which we all would, have, would be hopelessly lost in our, the death that we're experiencing. So the conjunction there emphasizes contrast, and then in the rest of the text, Paul's going to go on to compare, you were this, but now you're this, you were this, but now you're this. He does it eight times by my count. That's the heart of what I'm going to say today and the way I'm going to say it. I'm going to show you these eight contrasts following the blessed conjunction. Are you ready? You want to put on your running shoes. Number one, you have a new life. You were dead, verse one, but now you're alive. Look at it again. Verse one, you were dead. I like the past tense there, don't you? You were dead, verse 5. But even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ by grace you've been saved. You're dead, but now you're alive. You have a new life. You were living a zombie apocalypse. Uh, Pastor Harry Ironside of the Moody Church years ago said one time he was traveling and preaching and he went to a place where there were a service in three languages, one of which he knew, two of which he didn't know. He said during the first service, it didn't move him because it was in a language he'd never heard. And the second service didn't move him because it was in a language he'd never heard. But the third service was in English and it crushed his heart and it made him weep and made his heart beat fast because he, he was alive to that language. The Bible says that we're, we're dead to God and to whatever is said until he wakes us up, until, until he in, uh, enlivens us, and until he enlightens us. And we're, and we're hopeless. And, and we tend to think, no, I'll, I'll try hard. I'll, I'll show my good motives. I'll show my comparison with somebody else that's worse than I am. But it's not like that. It's like we're, we're all swimmers. And you have an Olympic swimmer. And, and you have a common man. You have an elderly guy. And we're dropped into the water. But we're 200 miles from shore. Folks, everybody's going to drown in that scenario. None of us are going to swim enough, well enough. Some will swim better than others, but we're all going to die. And that's, that's what it says here. That's the way it was. You were dead. But in Christ, when you believed in Christ, he gave you life. Just like Christ was dead, 
and he came to life. So you have a new life. You have, number second, number two, you have a new lifestyle. You have a new lifestyle. It's not just you. Oh, you have some spiritual thing happen. Nobody sees. It's like you were characterized by this, and now you're becoming characterized by that. We were walking in transgressions and sins, verse one and two. In, 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 you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. These things characterized your life. It's what you were. But when you're in Christ, when you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you, you have new life, then you're living in good works that are prepared by God. Look at verse 7 and 8. See what we're doing? We're going up in verses 1 through 3, and we're comparing to verses 4 through 10. We'll go back and forth eight times. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in us toward Christ. By grace you've been saved through faith. What, what are you doing now? You are, you, you, are, you are walking in, you're walking in trespasses and sins, verse 2. And now in Christ you are walking in good works. We are his workmanship, verse 10. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared those, planned those ahead. Way ahead before time began the good works. We are appropriately often people that are Christians are often called trophies of his grace. Here old timers say that, trophies of his grace. Probably not a great picture anymore because I tend to think of like an old has-been athlete with plastic trophies in the basement, you know, kind of a wannabe. It's not it. It's like, what is God talking about with a tear in his eye throughout the rolling ages to come? You that he saved. You are what he talks about on the porch in heaven. When we talk about his victories, he talks about how he took unworthy, unlovely, dead people and made them beautiful because of what he did. So you have a new life. You have a new lifestyle. Geraldine Watson is going to join the church here. She's she interviewed with the elders, and they've recommended her for membership. Scots have been recommended for membership. Next week, we'll vote on them during our quarterly business meeting. Geraldine is a faithful witness, and she's teaching our new ladies' class. And they're filling the cubby's room down there, a ladies' class at 930 hours. Pretty neat. Geraldine came in this morning, and she told me a story that she was witnessing over at Meyer, and a couple was coming out, and she since the Lord wanted her to witness, so she witnessed to them. And she noticed that they were listening carefully, and then they left. And a few, a few days or a few weeks later, they came back, the, the wife came back, and told Geraldine, my husband said, when you were talking, something clicked. Like they had never clicked before. And he believed and he couldn't remember the name of your church, so he just found the church to get baptized, and he went and got baptized. I told her, well, that didn't count. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um, we, they, he got baptized. He said he couldn't remember the name of the church. He got baptized. And, 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 she, and so Geraldine wisely says to the wife, has he changed? She says, he has. He says, all he wants to do is read his Bible now. He used to do this and that. She mentioned things he did. But he just wants to read his Bible. He's, he's thrilled. Something clicked, he said. That's what happens when a person is born again. That's not the way the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say something clicked. The Bible has different ways of saying it. Like they're enlightened. The lights go on. Spiritually, miraculously, God works in them. They hear the gospel from a faithful witness, 
something clicks, <laughs> if you're alive, something click one day. If you're not, hope something clicks today. And you hear this to be true of you. Stand on the escarpment of God's grace and look out over the vista of the riches of God and suck in your breath and say, is it possible that it could be true of me? And believe, and you will be in Christ, and all these things will be true of you. A new life, a new lifestyle, a new awareness. We were living only with an awareness of the world. That's why it says that in the verse 2, in which you once walk following the course of this world. In other words, as if this world was all that really mattered or, or all that you really knew, you were living for this world. That's what people without Christ do. That's all they see. But then when they're in Christ, there's a new awareness, and they begin to see they're spiritually minded, and they begin to have a keen awareness of spiritual realities all around them. The whole way they look at life changes. And when you see people, that helps you with the irritating people. They're not just irritating people. They're, they're people, God is working in their life, and their irritations are probably part of their sad journey. And you have a purpose to help them and to help deliver them so that at least in eternity it won't be so irritating. You're spiritually minded. You're seated in heavenly realms, verse 6 and other places. Spiritual things are real. Material things are real. Spiritual things influence material things. And spiritual things are the reality behind material things. Did you track with that? So I'll say it again. Well, hear this. Spiritual things are real. Material things are real. How many of you know material things are real? Yeah. Everybody knows that. It's like that brisket is real. Those donuts are real. You can throw my mind is right now. Kind of had a light breakfast. That coffee is real. The, 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 but then the spiritual realities are every bit as real, but they're not as evident to us until we have the capacity to see the spiritual realities. And now, so when a person is in Christ, she's awakened to spiritual reality. She doesn't just go stumbling through life seeing things. She sees the, the, the influence of the spiritual things on the things. The spiritual things are the reality behind material things. P see people the way God sees them, I say. Live with a God awareness all the time. Ask God to give you eternal values. Number one, new life. You were dead, now you're alive. Number two, new lifestyle. You're walking in transgressions in, in, in trespasses and sins, and now you're walking in good works prepared by God. Number three, new awareness. You were living only with an awareness of this world in front of you like a dog in his dish, and now you have spiritual minded with a keen awareness of spiritual realities. Number four, you have a new ruler. You are under the dominion of evil, evil ruler. Verse two, in once, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. It sounds poetic, but it's dark. Satan was in control of the world, and indirectly in control of you. And now, you, you ever look around the world and listen to what people say and think, what would make a person think it's okay to kill an innocent baby like that? You ever wonder that? What, what would make a person think it's okay to dismember a baby in his mother's womb? What would make a person think that's okay? Only one thing would make a person think that's okay. They're influenced by a dark, demonic, Deadly, evil ruler. The only thing that would make a person, that's a, you, if that's what you believe, you're under that influence. Deliver yourself. Why do we do the dark things we do? There's an evil ruler over the evil system that we're in. 
But you can get out of that. In Christ, you can be delivered from that evil system. And you can be in, in, uh, under the, seated with Christ, synced and aligned with Christ, having the mind of Christ, seeing the world the way Jesus sees it. You have a new ruler. And there's, there's a new nature. In verse 3, you were, in, you were driven by your sin nature. Verse 3, you were among whom you, we also all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Get sucked downstream with all the flotsam and jetsam of the dark world that we live in, just getting sucked downstream, doing what they do, living the way they live, liking what they like. And then we believed and we were placed in Christ. Listen to verse 5. And even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are now empowered by what, what was called our union with Christ. Here's a modern way of looking at that. You ever have a Bluetooth thing that syncs with you? Like you have a phone and it syncs with a good speaker? You know what I'm talking about? Or your television is that way, you sync with. This is the thing. Jesus has lived and died, was buried, rose again, and he's seated in the heavenlies. And we're in sync with him when we're in Christ and we'll never be out of sync by a powerful force of God. We're in sync with Christ. We died with him. We're buried with him. We're raised with him. We're seated with him. We look on the world from the top down, not from the bottom up, it, in, with the eyes of Christ. That's, what the, that's a staggering truth that Paul is teaching here that's almost... It's just staggering to believe it. This is what we're, we're trying to do today. It's just stand and look out over that and say, is it possible that that's true? Can I be freshly amazed by grace, freshly thrilled by mercy, freshly captured by his kindness? We have a new ruler, a new nature, new life, new lifestyle, new awareness, new ruler, new nature. That's good, isn't it? A new relationship with God. We were under the wrath of God, verse 3. Now we're under the mercy of God, verses 4 and 8 mention God's mercy. That's why I keep saying mercy, grace, kindness. You can live under the mercy of God, characterized by his mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We're made alive in Christ, raised in Christ with a heavenly orientation, seated with Christ, with an intimacy with Christ. We have a new nature we have a new relationship with God. Number seven, we have a new wealth. We were subject to our sin nature, to our flesh, and now we're saved by grace. Verses five and eight. Verse five, we were dead in our trespasses. Now we're made alive together with Christ. Verse eight, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift that God gave you. This is the simple truth that Lots of religious people are blind to. They just think they have to be religious or good or earn their keep. Uh, it just seems American. You, you pay for what you get. But you can't pay for what you need because you're dead. And you have to throw yourself on the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God that he expressed through his son Jesus on the cross. It's the only way for you to get out of this world alive. And then you have a new life, new lifestyle, new awareness, new ruler, new nature, new relationship with God, new wealth, and new freedom. We were in bondage to works. Now we're gifted 
with eternal life by grace through faith. And I save this for last. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so no one can boast. There it is. Why is this so important for us to stand and look out over the scope of our salvation? Why is that important? Because it's our hope. Because it's our consolation when our hearts are broken. Because it's our message for the world. Because it's our mission. It's our purpose. It's why we're here. It's why we support camps like Youth Haven. Because they can get to little kids we can't get to. That's why we send kids to Sela. Because they can tell kids we, in a way we can't tell them. <laughs> That's why we try to figure out ways that we can help people understand this is how they can keep from going to hell forever and can know God and love God and have a, have a life filled with peace and joy, confidence in God. That's why we do the stuff that we do. That's why. Our mission. So I, I would say, let's pray right now that Beth, Beth will spread the message with passion to all who are here and do good works, prepare the soil for the seed of truth, that everyone will get a prayer partner and start to pray and love and invite and initiate gospel conversations and start lots of Jesus groups. Charles Spurgeon, the great English Baptist preacher, did you know his grandfather was also a pastor? He's a great pastor. He, he invited his grandson to preach at his church one day, and he was late. So the young Spurgeon was late. So the old Spurgeon, the grandfather, started to preach. And then halfway through the message, the young Spurgeon came in. And the grandfather said, I must stop now because my grandson can preach the gospel better than I can. But he looked at me and says, but he can't preach a better gospel. And then young Spurgeon began to preach the gospel. And he said, he could hear his grandfather behind him say, say that again. He said over and over again, he could hear his grandfather going, say that again. That's what we're doing today. We're saying, hey, they say when Spurgeon was an old man and his grandfather had long been with the Lord, he could still hear his voice when he preached saying, say it again. Tell him the same thing again. Tell him again. That's the good part. That's what we're saying to you. Find somebody, tell him again. Tell your kid. Tell your mom. Tell your neighbor. Tell everybody you know. Bring somebody with you to a small group. Invite them to a concert. Tell them again. Something will click someday for somebody. There was a kid in my high school named Jim. I remember this guy. He's really kind of rough. He had a white Camaro, and he would sit out behind the school, and he would run at the last minute because he always would smoke a joint in his Camaro before he ran into school. And, and yeah, he's, a, he's a nice guy, and, but, but he was rough, and, it was, and he was rough for a good reason. His, his home was broken. His stepfather beat him, and he was a drunk. A pretty girl at school that invited him to Faith Baptist Church in Greenville one Sunday, and he thought she was cute, so he went. Second Sunday, he'd gone to kind of a moralistic church that told him to be good, but he never heard a gospel. But the second Sunday at the Faith Baptist Church, he heard a gospel, and he, and he forgot about the pretty girl, and he, he got saved. I met him after that. He was on my bus route. I'd pick him up on the bus. He and his sisters, Jim was a sweet guy. He and I would just sing. We were in a singing group. We'd just sing together, just beller. We were awful, but we loved doing it. Just bellering, you know, doing the two of us. We were riding the bus one day, and he said, do you have any, I see you have little brothers. Do you have a sister? I go, yeah, I got an older sister. Like, she wouldn't ever be interested in you, I promise. 
They have 11 kids now, my sister and Jim. He preached here not long ago. He's a pastor in Ohio. This week, we're going to go to a pastor's conference, and my brothers will be there, and my sons will be there, and Jim will be there. We're just going to be freshly amazed by God's grace is what we're going to do. We're going to be freshly thrilled by his mercy. That's what we're going there for. We want to be captured afresh by his kindness. That's why we're going there. Last time I preached on this text, I remember the day. It was exactly January 22nd, 2017. It was over in the downriver of Detroit. I preached this very same text. It said a lot of the same stuff. I said the thing about Walker. There are people named Walker in the church that said, apologies to the Walkers here today, but that's what they call them. I ended the service, got to the end of the service, and I said, I'm going to do something different. Normally, I go out and I greet people, but today I'm going to stay right here in case somebody wants to be saved, and I'll explain how you can be saved. So after we get done singing today, I'm going to stay here, and, and you come forward, and I'll talk with you. And we sang, and then everybody went home except one boy, a teenage boy, who came forward, and he was looking at me, and he, I go, what, can I help you? And he goes, I want to be saved. Oh, I said, oh, that's great. What's your name? He said, my name is Walker. I go, oh, that's funny. I said, seriously, what's your name? He goes, my name's Walker Bass. And he laughed. He goes, it's kind of funny, isn't it? I go, yeah. And I sat down in the front pew to show him how to be saved. I, I wrote him this week to see if he's still saved. Because you're really saved, you, you're still saved, right? But he wrote me right back. He says, I watched Bethel services all the time. Walker Bass got saved last time I preached this. Who's going to get saved this time? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We save time to sing how amazing God's grace is, because I knew you'd want to do that again. So let's ask the team to come to lead us in how amazing God's grace is. Then we'll have prayer partners that come to pray with you. But I'm going to stay down here too, in front afterward. And if you want to come and ask how to be saved, you want to be saved today, then you come and talk to me. And I'll either lead you to the Lord right, right here and now, or I'll get a, maybe your lady, you would like to have a lady do that. I have a, I'll, I'll draft a lady and come have her come over, sit down with you. And today you can pray and you can be in Christ before you leave. I think this would be a wonderful thing to do. Well, you want to sing Amazing Grace? I thought so. Let's stand, sing it again. <laughs>